And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation, um, hoping helps your business grow. So how do fintechs help banks? What is a fintech? Fintech is financial technology, and it's hot right now, people. Fintech is everywhere. Why? Because the banking industry is ripe for disruption in so many different ways. If you're a regular listener of the show, you know that I don't have a huge love for all banks, but one bank I do have a lot of love for is the sponsor of today's episode. So I should let you know that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for 35 years. That's not even as old as I am yet, but that's still pretty old. Silicon Valley Bank built for what's next, svb.com. If you can't remember that, there's a link in the show notes. With me today, I've got the VP of product at Zen Business PBC, and also one of the original founders of Joust, which was acquired by Zen Business, George Kirchka. I probably said that right or wrong. I know one of those two answers is correct. Who's currently the VP of product there. We're going to talk all about how fintechs help banks. George, welcome to the show. And did I say your last name right? Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. It's Kurtica, but close ah! enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. I like to say that no one, no one says it better than than founders and CEOs and people that build the stuff. So give us a little background about Zen Business, but also about Joust. Sure. Yeah. Zen Business primarily start, started as a company to help entrepreneurs uh, form companies, small businesses. Uh, you know, you can go to Zen Business and, and quickly set up an LLC or S Corp, C Corp, EIN, get your annual compliance and, and, and be off and running and starting your business. Um, they've done great. Uh, and when we were talking with them, uh, I guess, pre-pandemic, uh, we were looking at a partnership with them and, uh, and an acquisition ended up making more sense. And Zen Business is, uh, you know, what I do there is as VP of, of product for all the financial services technology. So thinking what we did at Joust and turning Zen Business into a, a platform company, a fintech platform. So I'm responsible for building out that entire fintech platform. Um, you know, Joust was a was a sort of all-in-one app um, that combined payments, banking, uh, and invoicing, and invoice factoring, something that uh, not too many sort of solopreneurs know about. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we we are relaunching that product as Zen Business Money, and that's uh, where you know what we're doing today. Um, so that's uh, that's Zen, that's Joust. That's a, a little bit about me. Um, you know, I've got. 20 years in technology, uh, 10 in, in fintech and banking. I've worked for JP Morgan Chase and some big banks, and I've worked for some startups like Simple, uh, which unfortunately recently shut down uh, due to the PNC acquisition of BBVA. So I've seen it from both sides of the coin. And that's exactly why we brought you in, because, you know, it, part of this, this is part of a, of a bigger series about banking. And while we haven't really labeled it as part one of whatever, what we did at the beginning of as we approached 2021 is we really tried to we, we looked at, at charting out our course for subject matter for all of 2021. And it was because we wanted to provide a well-rounded uh, set of information for listeners. And for me personally, I actually kind of like I show up to the show and like, I, I think you can, a trip you'll, you'll, you'll acknowledge. I said, before we hit start, I said, I'm not going to pretend to be the subject matter expert on this one today. Uh, but I love to learn about it. So when it comes to FinTech and how FinTechs help banks, 
Like, what's the, where does that begin? Yeah, I, I like to use this uh, analogy, right? So FinTech 1.0 was, you know, FinTech's coming out saying, we're going we're gonna, to uh, replace the banks, right? Like, you don't need the banks, uh, just come to us, right? And, uh, and then what really happened is sort of FinTech 2.0, which is like, yeah, just kidding. We really need you <laughs> because we can't get a license. Uh, and so will you please help us, you know? Uh, and that's where you had all these sort of banking as a service um, uh, companies that spun up and, you know, white label banking and, and FinTech 3.0 is sort of where, you know, I think, you know, the discussion today is going to go, which is, you know, FinTech's, uh, powering the banks. Uh, and so what do I mean by that? That's, um, you know, a good example would be onboarding, right? Like, uh, you know, you can just today, I, I downloaded, uh, an app, uh, a business app. Um, I'm not going to mention who it is, but I was able to onboard and um, get my account set up, I don't know, with one hand, right, on my phone in a matter of five minutes. Um, with a bank, you know, still, I think some of them, you got to go into a branch to do it. Or their onboarding experience is tied to their core processing platform, which is like Fiserv or Jack Henry. And it's, it's a laborious process. It takes time. Um, and so you've got this sort of uh, next generation of companies, you know, not just in the identity verification space that are that are doing that that underwriting and identity verification different, but just like taking the whole onboarding experience and saying, hey, you know, we're going to manage that uh, for you, soup to nuts. It's going to be an easy experience. We're going to use better data. Uh, you know, we're not going to make, you know, you don't have to give us your driver's license or passport because we could already get all of that information, you know, take a selfie maybe and, uh, and verify and you're up and running. Uh, and banks are like, man, why can't we do that? And so, you know, companies like um, uh, for, uh, MX and, and a few others, you know, Plaid as well, you know, you're starting to see them in bank onboarding these days because, the banks figure like if, if we can't have a good onboarding experience, customers are just going to drop out of the funnel and they're going to go to, you know, a bank that does. Um, so, you know, one, that's one good example. Um, you know, Plaid, you know, we can go, we could talk forever about that one. Um, I was on both sides of that, you know, started out scraping data from bank websites, right? Like, uh, and, and under the premise of you are the consumer, you you own your transaction information. You should be able to, uh, liberate that and put it anywhere you want it in mint or, you know, whatever it is. Um, of course you can imagine that Chase didn't like the fact that at some point, like 80% of their web traffic was robots <laughs> scraping their website. Uh, and so, you know, they, they sort of started blocking plaid and companies like mint. Um, and you know, what ended up happening is they had to sign a data sharing agreement and essentially saying, Hey, listen, plaid, we know consumers want access to data. Please stop going to the CFPB about us. Uh, we'll sign a deal with you. We'll give you an API. You'll get direct access, but you're on the hook for any data breaches. So, you know, a little bit of a heavy handed approach, but certainly one in which the consumer uh, sort of drove a big stodgy financial institution like Chase to modernize and, and allow access to, uh, to their data. So you don't have to, to talk to me too much about tech and software to hear me say that I think onboarding is the future of any successful platform. Uh, why? Well, if you can't get people in, then you can't get people in. You know, and it's just that simple. And, and it really, the path of least resistance is usually what people take. And that's why you've seen so many fintechs. So you look at like a company like Cabbage who got acquired by uh, American Express, but Cabbage made it fast and easy for people to get basically cash flow type loans where you could be in and out of that thing in an hour if it even took that long and get your needs taken care of where traditional banks might've taken weeks and it wouldn't, it might not have worked for you. And, you know, so, but that's about that, that fast, easy sign up. Uh, as far as like a company like Plaid goes, you know, you, and I've hooked that up to other lenders that it just helps for a fast, easy and secure connection. So a possible lender can 
look at a borrower's uh, at a borrower's financial history within the account. And you know, prior to stuff like that, you were faxing or uploading PDFs or shit like that. And you know, like, well, first off, you don't know where those end up and where they're going. And then those weren't really the most effective ways to transfer data for analysis either. So. Uh, yeah, you were right with the 1.0. Like, uh, well, first off, I, I did always find that amusing. I'm like, you're going to take out like the biggest banks in the world. That's like not probably going to happen. And oh, we might want to work with them. Um, and then in this 3.0 world, you talk about you've got things like neo banks and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, so some of the things here is like in that that 3.0 world, which what is that? Is that five years from now, 10 years from now? Like, how far away are we in, in that regard? Because because in that case, leading banks might be using technology that feels invisible in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think 3.0 is happening now, right? Um, company like uh, Finicity uh, works directly with um, uh, the mortgage, um, you know, the the mortgage um, originators, right? Uh, they're, uh, I think they call it. Um, like same day verification or whatever it's called. But at the end of the day, they're saying, hey, you know, we're an aggregator just like Plaid, but, you know, we're built into the mortgage application and we work with, you know, the, the, the loan servicers, the, you know, Fannie and Freddie and, you know, all of those folks where, um, you know, we are going to give you a, a day one certainty. So we are going to, you know, give you that certainty that we're taking your data, uh, we're uh, putting it into an underwriting, you know, uh, uh, software, and we're going to give you certainty, you know, that that you're going to get underwritten and all that information is there and validated. So, you know, legitimizing what was in essence, like you said, a laborious process where you had to fax or email PDFs uh, to a loan officer somewhere, and then it goes to underwriting department, and who knows what happened, you know, where it goes there. And, you know, uh, now you could sort of track the whole process along the way. You know, the Domino's Pizza Tracker, uh, I could say that when we were at uh, when we were at Chase, it'd be, it was a big, you know, conversation of we need a pizza tracker. We need to show people where, you know, they are in the process for, you know, their loans. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's crazy to see like that, that type of, uh, you know, UI and interaction you know, even even like a non fintech, right? They're saying, "Wow, customers love this. We need to show them, you know, where they are in the process because it's 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 about setting expectation." But you know, I was I was also part of a giant project at Chase uh, for uh, modernizing the servicing side of the business. So think call center, but also chatbot, but also ATMs, and uh, you know, uh, the 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 branches. You know, you should get the same level of service. If you start a conversation with a chatbot, you go into a branch, they should know that history. You know, you start an application in, uh, on a tablet, you should be able to finish it, you know, tomorrow on, on, a, on a mobile phone or in a branch. And, and it all needs to be powered by the same sort of AI brain. And so multi-year project to go out and find a vendor to help modernize the servicing side of the business uh, because Chase gets like a billion phone calls a year. And most of them are like, what's my account routing number? Well, you know, hey, you could also just put that in the app because if people are going to, you know, need that information, make it easy to find. Uh, but Chase has a, a, an issue with like making it easy to export your account and routing number. But yeah, I mean, listen, I think uh, things like chatbots, you know, that's happening now. Mortgage loan origination, that stuff's happening now. Um, underwriting, um, uh, identity verification, uh, there's some great vendors out there that are, uh, you know, that are in now bank onboarding. Um, so, you know, I think I think we're seeing the three three fintech where they're powering banks. And I even get surprised sometimes even some my, like my little credit union here nearby, uh, you know, has, uh, you know, is using Plaid and uh, they're, they're doing uh, different rewards programs. So uh, which are powered by fintech. So, yeah, it's. Um, we're, we're in the present. I, I'm not sure what 4.0 will bring, uh, but uh, you know, maybe those are the bank licenses that uh, folks like Square just got and Vero Money just got. Well, there's, a, I mean, there, and as far as fintechs helping banks, so you know, Startup Hustle TV, which is our web series that we launched, that's given other given viewers a look at what it's like to be an entrepreneur through the lens of entrepreneurs. So, uh, one of our sponsors is Lending Standard and Lending Standard specialized, it's a Kansas City based venture back company.
company that deals in funding for multifamily homes. I to know Andy Kallenbach, the founder of that company, for a bank to give a loan, the, the amount of human paperwork and intervention and all that, that per deal is about 50 grand. Like, think about that. Like if you can create efficiency and reduction in that, like how impactful that is for a business. And then also, I, you know, one of the most stressful things for people in life is buying a home and getting loans. And if you can speed that stuff up, these are data-driven decisions. Like all the people that are doing that decide that they are putting the same freaking numbers in the same spreadsheets. They're not, they don't know you. They don't, I mean, these are, they're just plunking things in. So now, now, some of that's a lot more complex than you might think, though, you know, because with fintechs, one of the things is, and I know this just because of the kind of companies that that full scale deals with on a development basis. And so I, we employ about 180 developers and there's a, a, a different level and a, and a different approach to fintech because it's sensitive info. Right. So when it comes to that, that's one of the things that, that, you know, well, banks, like you mentioned your credit union, that's right up the street. So my bank uh, was one of like 15 banks that merged into a consolidated, you know, like they're, uh, they're trying to not be fragmented, but banking in general past like the top 10 banks out there is really fragmented. There's a shitload of, of community banks and stuff like that. And, and on a one-off basis, they don't really have the, the budget to innovate for themselves. So it's pretty imperative that they lean on the, the different fintechs that are out there to be cutting edge. And that's that classic buy versus build. You know, so why not, why not let someone else be the expert at it? Or do you want to try to build it yourself? And I noticed that in a lot of banks where they do seem to try to build it themselves, it's usually way behind the curve. Yeah, doesn't so. work. <laughs> it doesn't work so well. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a good example before cabbage, right? Like doing great origination for PPP loans, but the bank behind them is, was, um, uh, a crossover bank in New Jersey, which is a fantastic uh, fintech friendly bank that knows how to stay in its lane, right? Like they, they have one branch in New Jersey, but what they do is most of the loan originations for, you know, the, the prospers and affirms of the world go through uh, Crossover Bank. So they do great loan origination um, and, so, and, and they did really good in the PPP loans. They weren't going to go and build, uh, you know, a PPP loan direct to consumer. They went out and worked with folks like Divi and, uh, and, and cabbage to, to, to help them originate the loans. Uh, so they stayed in their lane and they used fintech to help them and they shared you know some of the fees uh, you know that are, that are that were generated from that. So it was it was win-win for both parties. Um, so I, I like that. I mean you know community banks, you know CDFIs they're 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 great uh, you know NBKC in Kansas City, you know, they do most of their mortgage origination, something like two or three billion dollars a year through Costco, <laughs> like literally Costco. And uh, and and that entire business is is, you know, like they'll originate the mortgage, do the underwriting, and then they sell it, you know, down uh, down the line to Chase or Wells Fargo on the correspondence side. And ultimately, they those two banks end up holding your mortgage, uh, you know, at, at some point. But again, it's like, how do you? How are they leveraging technology? I mean, some are doing it the old-fashioned way: Costco membership, right? Digital customer acquisition. But these banks, not only you know, when they invest in the tech, you know, is it usually a terrible mistake? But they also don't really have the budgets for customer acquisition. You know, they're not out there like raising millions and millions of dollars from you know Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalists who could just pour money into the top of the funnel for customer acquisition. Uh, you know, these banks don't have that luxury. And so they're using fintechs to get deposits so that they could go and maybe shore up, you know, the other parts of their business, which might be mortgage in the case of NVKC or small business lending in the case of, uh, you know, Cross River Bank. So, yes, it's sort of a symbiotic relationship. It goes both ways sometimes. When it, and, and, and I love to see when when banks embrace you know, fintech companies, because, uh, you know, they will never be able to compare, you know, in terms of customer acquisition uh, without them. 
Well, and a lot of that too, you talk about, we used, we have used phrases in other contexts about staying in your lane and, and, you know, you have other stuff. It's like, I mean, banks have so many restrictions on the stuff they can do. And, you know, I mean, they, and it's not that they don't, that most of the people I know that, that run a bank, I know some bank CEOs and presidents, and they're very constrained by what they can do. So, you know, starting certain things and you talk about not having that top of the funnel money to put in. Well, they, I mean, it's not that they don't have the money in the bank. They just can't use it for that. Right. Yeah. And, a, and that's, and that's an issue. And, and, you know, the issues that I have where I've complained about banks in the past is, is that the landscape of business and entrepreneurship over the last 20 years, especially has changed to be so many tech driven startups and uh, banks don't understand how to lend to them. They don't understand how that how that works. And I think that goes to, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I'm hoping to see change in the future. And that's why I'm a big fan of Silicon Valley Bank, because they'll flat out tell you, it's like, we're going to look at your business a lot differently than the bank that's up the street. And, you know, that's that's a purposeful uh, approach. Like, what's our purpose for lending here? And, you know, that's the problem that a lot of banks have when it comes to acquiring business related to startups and why SVB has the banking relationship with about half of companies that do a series A. And that's important stuff. And that, that purposeful connection and, you know, like being able to say like, so, all right, I'm going to be a little more rudimentary here. So you'll, if you own a, a tech company and you're that, you, you have that venture driven money coming in, all the banks want you to come put your $4 million round in the bank and then they won't give you a loan. Right. Because your business doesn't qualify because it's not profitable, <laughs> not profitable or it's not old enough or, you know, I've seen the weirdest shit, man. Like you go, like I, uh, when we were first starting full scale, we were like, yeah, we should see if we can get the bank to fund some of this just because they kept asking, you ask, you go to line up a million dollar loan. They said, we're going to need $10 million of, of liquid assets to back that up. And your response is, if I had 10 fucking million dollars of liquid assets, I wouldn't ask you for a loan for one. Yes. And, it, you know, it's like, and, and, and the response is like someone looking at you, it's similar to what I would say a dog looks like after you show it a card trick. You know, they're like, what do you, well, I don't understand that. Why wouldn't you want to borrow a million dollars and pay interest on it if you had 10? I'm like, does anybody actually take that? So yeah, it's like there, there's like no purpose or understanding and, and insights driven kind of stuff. So yeah. where, where do you think FinTech is going to possibly solve some of the things that I just mentioned, which is traditional banks possibly having a better way to understand how to do business with the businesses of the future? Yeah. And full disclosure, Silicon Valley Bank was uh, our bank at Joust. And, uh, you know, I agree with, you know, everything you said there. They're a little bit more forward thinking. Uh, you know, you raise your money, you put it in and, and they're actually willing to give you, uh, you know, a debt facility uh, on top of it um, uh, because they know that you've got, you know, that startup cap uh, cash coming in, uh, venture cash coming in. <laughs> so they were they were decent. But then, you know, things like Brex. So, for example, um, they, you know, came in and said, hey, you don't even need to keep your money with us. Just link your account, uh, you know, again, using Plaid. We're going to look into your Silicon Valley bank account and we're going to give you a card, a purchasing card. And uh, and that card is going to be tied uh, to how much money you have in the bank. Your other option was to go to American Express, you know, and that you know, uh, good luck. Uh, their balances were low. I think we got something like a $5,000 limit on our Amex card when we had a couple million bucks in the bank. And I'm like, gee, thanks, Amex. Uh, uh, and even Silicon Valley Bank, you know, I hate to, you know, throw them under the bus, but for that little piece, you know, Brex just did it better. And, you know, now Brex is going deeper into that. And, and you know, a lot of it is just cash flow based underwriting. Uh, Divi is another one that does this. You got, you know, a couple million bucks in the bank. They're going to underwrite you pretty easily for that spend card. Um, and so, you know, I think, uh, you know, Divi uses Wex and a few others. Brex uses Radius, which is now Lending Club. So you're seeing what's going to happen here is like now you've got fintechs buying banks 
uh, Lending Club bought Radius. Okay. Uh, so maybe that is Shoes on the other foot, people. Yeah. It's on the other foot. Yeah. And, you know, what does Lending Club do really well is underwriting, right? Like they do underwriting very well because that that's their business. That's what their investors want to see. They want to see that they're originating more loans. And, you know, to buy a bank, it's going to, uh, you know, help them get cheaper access to capital, right, through, you know, through the Fed. Uh, and they could do more sort of like uh, near prime or subprime. Well, you know, they, they they don't make a lot of money on these on the prime loans, uh, you know, because the you know the rates are lower and they get paid back generally. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think listen, um, you're gonna see the fin, you know, now the fintech companies that that are doing underwriting really well, like Lending Club, they're gonna come into Radius and they're gonna say, man, we are gonna change the way we do things around here, uh, and I and and that's I think gonna be a threat to a company like a Silicon Valley bank who, who for 20, 25 years has been doing great work, but then you come up with that issue again of like, are they investing in the technology? Are they, you know, uh, making advancements in, in, in underwriting and cash flow based underwriting, or, you know, is Brex just going to, you know, eat their lunch or is lending club going to do it because, you know, all of a sudden they, they just bought a bank. Um, you know, for me, my bets on, you know, these fintech companies who are willing to take more risks. Now, I heard your point, you know, bank CEOs, their hands are tied. You start to get more regulators knocking on your door. Hey, you know, like you don't want to have regulators in your office every, you know, every day, every week uh, asking you about this loan and that loan and this loan and what went into it. And that's what you're getting, uh, you know, when you, um, you know, become a chartered financial institution. So we'll see if the sort of trend, you know, like Lending Club buying Radius and if there are other banks, you know, we've got um, applying for banking licenses, uh, you know, if if that advanced regulatory scrutiny is going to stifle their innovation. Um, but uh, I think, my, you know, in my opinion, right, like the Lending Club uh, acquisition of Radius, you're going to see more fintech applied to a bank like Radius. Uh, and you're already seeing it, like they do banking as a service, they use Treasury Primes, APIs. They're very, very, very uh, advanced uh, as a financial institution. Uh, and I think it's only going to get better. Yeah. And those data-driven solutions and determinations of who gets what, how much, when, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're old. Those are old ass models, man. And they and they need yeah. and that criteria. I mean, it quite honestly requires some updating. And like I was using, I don't mind using my own examples. So, you know, at full scale, we had 100 employees by the end of year one. At the end of year one, you're not even old enough to qualify for an SBA loan. And you're growing so quickly. Like we got 18 months in, we had 150 employees and the banks, they didn't even like, there wasn't even a check mark for us, you know, in those regards. They're like, they, they're like, wait, you have how much revenue after 18 months? And, you know, like, I mean, it was weird because they're like, yeah. well, you won't qualify because you don't have a check mark in the age category and oh, then wow. where the where where oh it was it was weird weird conversation they're like yeah we see, go so call us back in six months and we're like yeah fuck you you know <laughs> like you know you waste it like because the they really will they'll waste weeks and months of your time with archaic <laughs> methods to do a lot of stuff to only tell you you know like and some of that we went in i went in and i i I would go to I called in a meeting. I'd be like, "Look, if all you're going to do is take a month to tell me to go to apply for an SBA loan, let's not even do this. Because a, I'm going to tell you to fuck off at the end because I told you to not <laughs> tell me to do that, right? And then yep. you were just wasting each other's time because we don't even qualify for that. So some of that was you look at some businesses that that become cash cows and grow quickly. And like for us, like. We were hiring people so fast. We were having to buy fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month in laptops just to onboard the thirty new employees and have a desk and have a chair. And we were just trying to amortize a little of that. It wasn't for any other reason. But yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Those data driven solutions are often flawed in their in their approach to looking at it. And I don't know how they're going to fix that because the yeah. more the more the hands come off of that and just the, and cause that's the thing is, is when a computer's making the determination. Yeah. It's going mean, to often zeros and ones check mark. Yes. Check mark. No. If the check marks, no, then no, no loan. Um, so, you know, we'll see now on the flip side though, 
that same data-driven solution, in my opinion, should reduce and, and begin to tackle some of the inequity that exists because, well, machines are binary. They're right. very yes or no. They're not, they don't care, you know, where and who, or, you know, some of that, some of those, those prejudices and, and biases that people have and inherently uh, can be avoided. So, I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, do, the, do you think that, do you think there's a solution for like alternate thinking as far as like the AI and the other purposeful things go? It's a slippery slope. <laughs> I've thought about this a lot. Um, and, you know, because the machines learn, right. And they're, and they're just yep. fed a model, uh, but they, tr over time, they start to make decisions on their own and things like, for example, um, oh, if the default rate in this block or this zip code um, is higher and the person wants to buy a house on that, you know, that block, then there must be something wrong. And, and so the AI is just going to train itself to never lend to anybody in this zip code or in this because it's a floodplain or because it's, uh, you know, uh, the neighborhood, you know, uh, income is lower, for example. So machine, machines can't introduce bias and, and, and you know, it's not like old fashioned bias. It's just like data driven bias. Uh, and that's and that's a risk. And you have to be able to explain to an, a regulator why the machine made that decision. Um, another good example uh, that I love to use, which pisses me off, is if you have a uh, say you um, you have a mortgage with Chase and your mortgage is like, I don't know, 600,000, 700,000. You live in the Bay Area. Maybe it's a million dollars. And, uh, you know, so they know that you're making your mortgage payments. They know how much money you have. Uh, and then you get a, a little card in the mail that says, hey, you know, Chase Sapphire card is great for you, right? I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to go apply. What's the first thing they do? They pull your credit report, you hard pull. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I have a mortgage with you for, you know, a million dollars and you're going you're gonna to run my credit? You already know everything about me. Right. God forbid I have a checking account with you and, and maybe a small business account and maybe a wealth management account. So the idea that you have to like underwrite someone seven times for their journey through your entire financial institution is bullshit. You have to learn how to progressively underwrite someone and no matter where they are in their sort of journey with you as a financial institution without maybe using the, you know, the traditional FICO models. Right. And so the, if, to give that business example, you know, Hey, they know there's, there's a story arc, you're hiring people, you're bringing money in. You may not be profitable, but very few startups are because it's all about growth. So understanding the story arc uh, and doing, you know, data modeling based on that, will get you to, you know, probably a happier customer and you won't be sort of shopping around thinking, man, I really fucking hate my bank because they don't know like how to bank startups, for example. They treat all sort of, you know, like um, like when fintechs are selling or, into or, banks. Or business owners in general. Or business owners, Business yeah. owners in general. Like, yeah. I mean, full scale is my, my third company and I've yeah. done well on the other ones. And, you know, some of that is like you say, you look at goofy things. I was just recording an episode about solving complex problems with cutting edge mm -hmm. technology. And there was an AI driven platform. And, and my guest was talking about how hard it is train the AI mm -hmm. once it starts IS and different stuff like that. And then some of it is, you know, like, it, well, for, for me, the issue that I had with local banks is they don't want to recognize certain things as assets. Like Fullscale right. owns about, uh, about $2 million worth of equity and other businesses that have received verified venture-related funding, which means there's a street price. It's like a 409A right? valuation, right? So there is a price. Something, yeah, yeah. right. But the, but the, but because of the type of assets they are, banks don't want to recognize them. But at the same time, uh, there's a semi-truck somewhere that's filled with bolts that only <laughs> work for one specific purpose to one specific recipient. And a bank will look at that and they'll be, oh, okay, that's an app. We can loan against those. We and the bank that. presidents will tell you, I would rather have the equity that you have in another company than those bolts. But there's there's the problem. And, yeah. you know, so there's the, all these inherent issues, both with lending. And then also, if you're listening to the show and you're an entrepreneur and a startup founder, especially a young one, 
and you have only, and you're maybe on your first company, how fun buying that next home. Cause yeah, especially if you've been working for shitty founder pay and bootstrapping it by on your own, cause that $36,000 a year salary you're paying yourself despite owning a company that just got venture backed and you own it's 84% of the shares, they won't care. Oh brother. Now you're speaking my yeah. language. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Personal. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's, that sucked. Right. I mean, like I personally went through that, you know, and, and, you know, you're sort of like ruining your credit, but at the same time on paper, you know, you've got this, you know, great, you know, ownership stake and, you know, no one understands that. And, uh, you know, they're like, sorry, man, like, we're not going to give you a, a, a mortgage. So you got to almost like, Hey, to any startup founders out there, you know, get your mortgage before you start your company, before you leave yeah. your high paying job, because you're not going to be able to do any of that for, you know, until you, you are able to afford to pay yourself a market rate. Yeah. The, the difference between net worth and net worth, who are you asking? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. So, um, yeah. And by the way, as a, as a founder or an entrepreneur, if you aren't at some point the brokest rich person, you know, you might be doing it wrong. True. Very true. <laughs> it's very true. Oh man. We, we play a game. Uh, some of my friends and I like what's, what's the name of your autobiography today? And there's been a couple times when mine's been broke as rich, dude. I know, um, <laughs> mine, because but that's but but that's a real thing. It's true. Mine would be ramen profitable. <laughs> I love <laughs> there, that. That's, I love that that's the same thing. That's the yeah. same. That that's the same. The same feeling. So, okay. So we talked a little bit about the future and visibility of banks. A lot of this stuff. Uh, my my co-host and business partner Matt Watson talks about these things as boring businesses. They drive infrastructure in a very quiet, like almost semi-secretive kind of way. These companies are everywhere, people. You never hear about them and they're publicly traded like because they are grinding the gears. Uh, they deal with things. They keep things connected. I think the connectivity thing is, is big. Because if you've ever filled out a loan application, like you look at things like you talk about Lending Club or even Lending Tree or some of these things is you don't want to like filling those out like over and over and over. It's tiresome and then keeping up with them. So that level of connectivity and things that share and spray that info in the direction that you want, it's almost like a data room when you're raising money for your startup. It's like, hey, here's all the shit. Go figure it out. Tell me what you think. Insights driven, I think that's tough, but I would like to think that because of machine learning and AI, like that's a, we're talking about massive sample sizes here. I mean, it's yeah. like, I mean, you know, that 1.4 million brand new homes are built every year and not even can, and that's, and most people aren't buying a, a brand new home. So you've got millions and millions of applicants and homes and, and transactions and, and all of that. And then the purposeful nature of things. Like, is there anything that like, what, what have we left out as we, as we head to the, the final 20% of our episode here? Yeah. Um, so very um, relevant. Um, you know, you think of, um, you know, Zelle, the payment network, right? That's, um, uh, you know, owned by a consortium of banks. Uh, you know, it was their response to Venmo. Um, you know, those guys, uh, you know, you get all these bank CEOs that sit on this board and they're saying, what can we do, uh, next? And, you know, you can go and sort of look for their, you know, their jobs, uh, through their job listings. And you can see that the next thing they they were starting to do is identity. Uh, if, uh, each one of the banks that are part of, you know, um, this, you know, network consortium can get together and say, we have one identity standard, right? And we're going to share that data among each other. Uh, then I don't need to go and, you know, fill out that form at Wells and City and Chase and, you know, yada, 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 because, uh, you know, it's shared among the banks or it could be potentially shared among the banks, sort of federated identity, if you will, right? So giving the banks permission to share with other banks. That's a little weird because you're like, well, Shouldn't they, they should be fighting over loans, you know, yeah, to, to get you the offer. But 
at the end of the day, Chase probably wants 720 FICO prime. And if they can't get that, they're going to send you somewhere else anyway. Um, but that, you know, ownership of your own identity and data, you know, where, where you're say, you know, I own the data, I own my personal information and I should choose whether you get to look at it versus the other way around, which is, uh, you know, Chase on the data and then they sell it to Experian who then, you know, and who have to report it to Experian and then they sell it back to Chase, right. In order to do the underwriting, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous business. I don't think you need, um, credit bureaus, right. In this sense, if the banks can get together and come up with the standard of identity and do cash flow based underwriting, you kind of put the experience and, and, you know, uh, your trans unions out of business. Uh, and I would love to see that. I would love to see a world where all banks are doing cash flow based underwriting and they're all doing identity federation and they don't rely on, you know, FICO and, and credit scores anymore. I think we're a long way away from there, but the conversations are being had because I was in the room for some of them. I think we should probably perhaps talk about crypto for a second. Um, banks have a love hate with it. Mm hmm. Maybe they don't understand it. It's not necessarily regulated. Like, what do you think? What do you, you know, the thing that I've always liked about just blockchain chain in general with banking, especially is, well, ever since banks and money and accounting were invented, people stole money from banks. And, and yeah, so, and one of the things that was the hardest to, to monitor and keep up with was often the accountant's uh, eraser. Mm -hmm. um, and or, or or different people's erasers, and I I personally think when it comes to fintechs and helping banks, is certain transactional data being locked into a blockchain uh, creates a level of accountability and a lowering of theft and fraud um, in a lot of ways. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a ledger, right? It's an immutable ledger. And I think that that is important for, you know, large banks, financial transactions that have a record. Um, you know, when I was at JPM, they came out with this like interbank information network. I think he rebranded it as uh, a JPM coin. But from like in the institutional side, if, if, you know, every day you're moving funds between, you know, JP Morgan, you know, US and JP Morgan, Italy, uh, it makes a lot of sense to do that on the blockchain ra rather than having to use, uh, you know, some of the the legacy sort of um, uh, networks. Right. Uh, and I think you'll see more usage of that, you know, on, on the institutional side, on the consumer side. Actually, interestingly enough, you know, you've got, you know, baby boomers are saying, man, what is going on with GameStop and, and, and crypto? And they're going to their financial advisors and they're saying, I want to get in on this. And, you know, I've seen a startup, I forget the name, but their whole purpose in life is to sell into banks the managed crypto sort of asset wallet, right? Like as a service, white there's, label. There's, there's a few of them. There's, there's a few, few of them. them. And they're, yeah. yeah, they're basically leveraging that and paying high returns. There's a long story with that, you know. But yeah, yeah. But I think it's, it's you know, again, it's once a consumer-driven demand, and if it's not there from your, your financial institution, they're going to go get it from somewhere else, like a Coinbase. But if you, as an asset manager, can say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I can, you know, put some of your money in, um, you know, in Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, you know, and, and, and get well-versed on it, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's only, it's only going to benefit everybody. Um, so I, I, you know, I like that play and, you know, I think, um, you know, again, there's a consumer play, there's an institutional play, um, for blockchain and crypto, um, you know, as with anything, I think, uh, you know, the bigger banks like JPM are going to be very risk averse and, and they're super fine with doing it like internal. They're not going to go out and like, you know, um, hedge against the coin or anything like that. It's, it's, it's going to be like, let's just use it internally. We'll use it, see how it goes. We'll use it amongst our own, our own, you know, banks and maybe a few other banks in our network, and then you know maybe open source it and see how it goes. Um, but I think they're going to tiptoe into it still. It's going to take time. Yeah, and you know, like you said, that's a ledger. And it's a ledger. The ledger is the, the ledger is the foundation of banking. It, it exists, and it's also something I hated in school because 
Um, they want that your accounting professor doesn't like it when you write off the seven cents that you can't find. And you're like, it's cheaper for me to write it off than to find it. And they're like, that's not how a ledger works. It's like, that's how much dude. Cause yeah, anyway, that's sometimes smarter. Uh, but you know, it also doesn't balance. So that's probably why I didn't pass that class. To be honest. <laughs> so now we're dredging up old memories. Uh, speaking of things that we shouldn't forget, we shouldn't forget that this episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. SVB.com. Check out their site. There's a lot of great information on there. Thanks to SVB for helping us hustle. Now, I end my episodes and I say my episodes because I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. Make sure you tune in on Tuesdays to hear what Andrew Morgans has to say about e-commerce and Amazon-related stuff. And join Innovate Her founder, Lauren Conaway, for a Thursday morning foray into all of the things that women are amazing at. We're recording this. It's International Women's Day. So we should probably oh. thank Lauren for doing all the great stuff. She just passed her 4,000th member at Innovate Her. I like to think that some of those people are those you listening. Now, for those that are listening, the Founders Freestyle, and George will get to go first. George, you know, we talked about a whole lot of stuff. I just got kind of, during this freestyle. We'll both take a turn on the mic. I mean, anything that you want to say could be advice, something we left out, I mean, really anything. It's a freestyle. So what would you like to tell the listeners of the world? Huh? Well, no pressure. Yeah. Listen, None. I'd say, uh, <laughs> you know, for, you know, for all the budding entrepreneurs or anybody listening, you know, I think FinTech is still a very hot market. There is a lot of opportunity. And, you know, slowly but surely, there are, you know, some banks, some financial institutions that are starting to wake up and realize that, you know, hey, uh, my, uh, the, the kids of my wealthy clients aren't going to want to go to a strip mall and, uh, and do their banking or do their wealth management uh, with, uh, with us. They're going to want to put it in Robinhood. Uh, and so how are they going to change that, right? They have to be, they have to change the way that they do business. With their clients, uh, they have to change the way that the clients have access to their data. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, in this great wealth transfer that's coming up between baby boomers uh, as they, you know, sadly uh, get older, um, you're going to see a massive shift, I think, change in technology uh, with these community banks. They're going to have to change or they're going to die. Uh, and I do think that there is a huge opportunity. Uh, to modernize these banks, not by signing another contract with FIS and Fiserv and locking them into 10 years of mediocrity, but by partnering with fintechs to help them uh, appeal to a broader set and, and even a younger uh, you know, set of customers, customers that grew up with mobile phones uh, you know, like myself. So I do think uh, there's still a lot of opportunity out there. And you know, let's, we, let's not give up on the banks just yet. Um, you know, I think they still have an opportunity to, uh, to modernize a little bit. And uh, I hope all of you entrepreneurs out there can uh, go help them do that. Well said. I'm going to take a two-prong approach here. First off, simple advice, follow the money. Where is it flowing in and who has it? Because they can write you more checks. They can put more into it. And you know, I recently gave a speech, and I, I will get this wrong, the, the Philippine Society of Information Technology Educators. Wow. First time I got that right, I actually did a recording for 500 people at that. At that and I said it, I, I tried to memorize it. I said it wrong so many times. I just made the, the first 20 seconds of my video presentation, me messing that up. Um, yeah, so hopefully they laughed up front. But, but I listed uh, FinTech as because they wanted to know what skills and industries are in demand now and in the future. And here's the thing, like finance is never going anywhere. No. Neither is healthcare. Those were two, yep. those were two real, real surefire bets for things going. Now, 
Um, while I largely believe that the days of creating an MVP on the first of a month and having it ready on the first of next month and getting out there and doing like, hey, look at our startup, it's there. I think those are those days were a long time ago because there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. But I think that both healthcare and fintech are still really wide open for a lot of wild and interesting innovation, even at smaller scales. Like maybe you're not the next unicorn, but you can build a tidy little business around that and, and create something that merges or gets acquired and does a lot of stuff. Um, you know, with FinTech, I think that you're going to still continue to see complexity in it when it comes to the startup because of the data, because of the connections, because of the general nature of money, maybe come up with a solution with that. Uh, if you are thinking about starting a fintech company, I do want to caution and encourage you to really get deep into the weeds about who is already doing this and where, because there are a shitload of fintech startups, which I mean, just know what you're getting into. Uh, and before you realize, you know, a year end that you have 408 competitors, which is a fair comparison for some things, you know, and, and so just know what you're getting into, but you got a, that anytime you have something that's that, that commonplace has that much money in and around it, there's opportunity. So you go. Follow you know, the money. take a, take a shot at it. And, you know, like, and if, if that's, I mean, there's so many, there's so many interesting problems to solve in that world that I'm sure something out. Um, and then the final note is, I mean, fintech's just hot right now. There's a ton of venture money coming into it and flowing into it and a lot of different things. And hey, timing does matter. You know, it does matter. If you ask VCs what they were in. So we're recording. I don't like to date our recordings, but I'll do it. It's March 8th today. We already said it was International Women's Day. So if you really knew that, you knew it was March 8th. But March 8th last year was halfway into the real COVID explosion. Like, and I know this because I was in the Philippines wondering if I was going to make it back here oh, on wow. time. And yeah, and they were a couple weeks ahead of all that because it started on that side of the planet. Right. So if you ask people what they were investing in a year ago as a par com compared to today, completely different answers. A year ago, people didn't even want, they didn't want to put money into ed tech. Now ed tech's one of the hottest spaces you can find. Zoom. So some of that, <laughs> yeah, oh, right, right. Some of that, and some of that is is a timing thing. So you know, follow the money, take a look at what's going on, and and you know, be aggressive, be aggressive, because yeah. the winds often change directions. So George, thank you so much for joining us to learn more about what we're doing at Zen Business and, and all of it. So man, I'll catch up with you. Thanks for your time. Sounds good. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.